This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hey, this is Jesse. Hey, this is Scott. <laughs> Good um, morning, I, Jesse. Uh, all right. Well, I've got something to talk about. A couple things. Excellent. I'm excited. Um, uh, you know, I've been playing Fallout 3 probably uh-huh. more than I should have been, but... Um, I have a good excuse now. I have good, good excuse. There's a radio drama inside of Fallout 3. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I guess it's it's more along the lines of a Western. Um, as long as you consider a Western a post-apocalyptic uh, uh, zombie story. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. it's... Uh, it's pretty cool, actually. Um, there's several radio stations uh, that you discover as you're wandering the way baseline. You've got this little uh, armband computer that uh, can do all sorts of things. One of the things it can do is it can pick up radio stations, just like any other radio. And um, uh, as you're wandering the wasteland, you uh, you pick up a radio station, and every once in a while they start playing a radio drama. Um, it's... Uh, it's kind of hard to make out because it depends on what, where you are on in the uh, wasteland, um, whether how much static there is, mm-hmm. but um, you know, along with the the broadcast. But uh, the show's called "The Adventures of Daring Dashwood," and it's huh. a it's a it's a story of like um, it's kind of like uh, Hopalong Cassidy, I guess. Um, I don't know that show very well. Maybe it's more like. Um, uh, Zorro, or um, the what's the guy with the silver bullet? Uh, Lone Ranger. <laughs> the Lone Ranger, yeah. yeah. I guess it's more like the Lone Ranger because um, the main character is the Lone Ranger, um, and he's got a sidekick. The sidekick's a zombie. Uh, in the game, they're called ghouls, um, and they're like uh, human beings who've been exposed to radiation or something, and now they. they they start off as as just ugly-looking people, and later on, uh, as their disease gets worse, they lose their minds and start uh, becoming cannibals and uh, full, full-blown full zombies. Um, so the main character of this audio drama is, uh, is an adventurer type of human um, with, you know, sort of a big cowboy hat idea. I mean, we don't see it. Um, and he wanders the wasteland with his uh, cool companion, who always ends up saving his life. Um, and they have adventures. Not <laughs> <laughs> weird. It's cool. Well, that is neat. That's that's neat. And just last night, I was playing, um, and uh, I I discovered this um, hotel called the Ten Penny Tower. It's in, it's sort of like a wasteland hotel. <laughs> and once you once you talk your way into it, um, you can. You know, wander around and talk to the residents, and one of the residents is actually the star of the show. <laughs> He's retired now, but oh wow, um, yeah. And one of the quests you get is um, to go find his uh, his uh, long lost uh, showmate. And of course, their adventures are based on their real life adventures. <laughs> so it's, uh, I think that's pretty cool. Nice tip of that to radio drama. Oh, that is neat. That yeah. is really cool. So I'm doing research, buddy. <laughs> you are. <laughs> just just pure research. I have no... Pure research. Yeah. yeah. I should be able to write it off as, uh, on my taxes now. 
Heck yeah. That's great. So what have you been listening to? I'm listening to The Little Book. I'm darn near done with it. The Little Book by Selden Edwards from mm-hmm. Penguin. Um, now, I, I remember it's being, a very good book. I remember being excited about it, but I don't remember uh-huh. anything about it. Other than <clears throat> well, it's one of those books that's written... Uh, it's the first novel by a... Uh, it's really a mainstream uh, fiction book. But it uh, involves time travel. So that makes it science fiction. You know, it's that trend where lots of, um, you know, fiction general fiction writers are writing science fiction. Mm-hmm. So it's got the same kind of uh, problems that other ones do that are kind of in the same, if you could call that a subgenre. I don't know what you'd call that subgenre. Mm-hmm. But. Um, Science fiction that it isn't. Yeah, it, no, it, it's science fiction, but because <clears throat> I've read so many time travel stories, none of it is surprising. Mm. You know, it, it's like, and it was his grandmother, dun-dun-dun, you know. <laughs> well, no, we, we've seen that. <laughs> so, you know? But so the trip it, is... It, go ahead. You know, is this, you're saying the trip is good, even though it's not yeah. surprising? The, the journey so, is good, even though it's not surprising, because uh, the the time travel target is 1897 in Vienna. Uh-huh. So you're meeting people like um, uh, Sigmund Freud, mm-hmm. and Mark Twain spent some time there. Okay. Um, so you're, you're meeting, the, there's a lot of non-fiction characters, you know, or real characters and fiction characters all mixed together. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of that is really interesting. So, you know, um, I do keep listening. It's yep. uh, interesting enough to keep listening to. So uh, I'm anxious to see, how, you know, how he wraps it all up. But the uh, actual genre elements are n- not in any way surprising to a genre reader. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's because the, um, the author is not well acquainted with science fiction? Does it feel like that, or is it... Uh feel like just uh, mainstream audience uh, intended You know, a a lot of it feels like homage in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't know if the genre elements feel that way. I think he's using the the genre elements to um, make some points. And I want to wait till he wraps it up to see if I'm right or not. But... um, it's the typical thing, you know, if you read a science, something from the science fiction genre in which there's time travel, how that time travel happens is usually pretty important. Um, yeah. In, in here, it's it's not. It's it's like magical. It's, you know, oh, I woke up and here I was and I have no idea exactly how it happened. And I have no yeah, idea how long I'll be here and I could be torn away, you know. It's just like, you know, life. We have no idea how long we'll be here mm-hmm. um, or when we're torn away. Um, so it's kind of a metaphor, I think. Metaphorical, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so. that sounds sounds doable so far. We'll see how. Yeah, it is. Out. It's a good book. It's a good book. You know, it's just not a typical genre novel, which I don't think I expected going in. It was. It's more, much more about the characters than a typical science fiction book. Okay. I've been listening to a sort of non-genre or outside outside the genre writing uh, novel as well. Um, been listening to the Book of Lies by Brad Meltzer, and um, mm-hmm. 
that's got a uh, it's got a sort of a mainstream feel to it as well. But it, the elements um, that are mixing it up don't feel mainstream at all. Um, so Nelson DeMille is one one of the uh, sort of the New York Times best-selling authors that I like uh, actually like the books of. Um, he's writes sort of thriller novels, um, you know, uh, terrorism and the um, the agents who are trying to stop it, sort of thing. Um, very um, done well with the characters and interesting plot twists and. Um, witty dialogue, that sort of thing. And this novel sort of feels like that, but what it has going for it uh, on top of that is uh, it really is quite surprising. It has a lot of the uh, the character elements, sort of the police procedural or at least government agent procedural uh, feel to it. Uh, the main character is like an ex um, an ex ICE agent. Um, uh, it's kind of, you know, like that show I was talking about, The Border, Canadian uh-huh. show, um, about uh, border security. Um, and this, this is the same sort of thing. Um, Ex-ICEA ex agent, um, now he's working with the homeless, um, and one day he um, he go- goes out on a homeless call, and he, he discovers his own father um, <laughs> has been shot and left in the side of the road. So he's helping his father, and uh, his father has some urgent business that he needs to attend to, so he's not real keen on, <laughs> you know, reminiscing with his son. And the son doesn't accept this, so he, he you know, he has his follow father. <laughs> he has his follow father. No, he has his father. He follows his father. All right, there you go. <laughs> he follows his father, and uh, he just got, he starts, uh, he dips himself into this um, already going um, conspiracy between a uh, mysterious ex-government agent and um, uh, s- some murder from uh, several decades ago. Very, very interesting. And I don't... I, I, when I... When I thought I got the first revelation on what the what the actual book of lies is. Um, uh-huh. I was I was genuinely shocked, and I I actually knew some of the data going in, and I thought, oh, of course that makes sense. Um, but now now I think I just got a revelation that it's not actually the what I what I expected is. So I'm still looking forward to where it's going, and I'm still not convinced that it's actually science fictional. Uh, but it may very well be. It depends on what, uh-huh. what how it unfolds. Right. So, well written, and uh, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how it goes. Great. So, uh-huh. another thing that happened uh, in the last week, mm-hmm. uh, we had the science fiction, uh, the SFF audio uh, third annual challenge. Ah, oh, yes. I, I took most of uh, November 11th to write that, write that and get it all organized. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it looks like you've got uh, one... Two, three, three takers so far. And there's probably more since I've um oh I have mm-hmm. checked my email. <laughs> uh-huh. And I've been yeah. I've been sick, so <laughs> I have an excuse. Well, there's a it's a good looking list of stuff. Yeah, I think some Robert I think Block some, and some yeah. Clifford Simak. Oh yeah, a few Clifford Simaks and some Murray Leinster. You read any Murray Leinster? Oh yeah, yeah. I I really like that guy. Yeah. I think that's the best part of the challenge is I get to pick a bunch of titles that sound like they'd make really good audiobooks. 
Um, and nobody can stop me. <laughs> yeah, so I, I tried to mix it up with... Um, I, I got some help um, picking the, the titles. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. I, I got some help. I asked, I asked a guy to help me out. <clears throat> and um, um, I also... Uh, I went through the list and looked at, sort of read a, lot, a little bit of the stories and tried to figure out what what would make a good audiobook. And I, I'm not sure all of them are going to make 100% good audiobooks, but I, I think some of them very well will. Um, yeah, so I, I picked quite a few um, uh, Murray Leinster and Donald, uh, uh, sorry, Clifford D. C. Mac. Um, one of the titles I was going to pick, um, I actually had written down, um, was actually started before the the um, challenge got got underway, which uh-huh. <laughs> made me so you know I had to pull it off the list even though uh, I wanted it on there, um, and I did that just because it wouldn't be fair uh, for everyone else who's in the challenge to you know have the first title done. Uh-huh. It might seem like partisanship. Anyways, um, mm-hmm. Murray Electrics from or Murray you know Brian from the Murray Electrics podcast had started uh, podcasting. Um, the Risk Profession by Donald E. Westlake, which is a great little short story or no- novelette um, about an insurance adjuster going to the asteroids. Um, <clears throat> it's already available uh, as an audiobook, but um, it's out of print. So, um, and I love Donald Westlake, so that would have been a great. Yeah. And and she's reading it already, so. It's oh, going to be out there. Yeah, yeah. I know, uh, Westlake is an author you talk about quite a bit. I no, I'm sorry. Favorite. <laughs> yeah. No, don't be sorry. I remember um, you you listened to an audiobook by Spider Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember that? And you yeah, connected sure. it to a Westlake story. Or and then I got a, a really story. nice email from Spider Robinson. <laughs> yeah, that was neat. He was he was saying in the in the email I said you're the, you're the only reviewer to make the connection between the two books. Um, and uh, it's because I love Donald Westlake. So when, when he was referencing sort of Westlake uh, uh, style of writing, um, and I mean, yeah, he even dropped some dropped some uh, titles, I think, in there. He, he dropped a few other things as well. Um, he, he's a big fan of uh, John D. McDonald as well. I don't know if you read any, read any of his stuff, but he wrote a little bit of science fiction. It's mostly he wrote some Travis McGee books, which are he's best known for. Um, and that guy's sort of a <clears throat> Travis McGee is a uh, uh, he's a freelance uh, recovery expert, I guess is the idea. I haven't actually read any um, recent Travis McGee that wasn't abridged. I just listened to a few audiobooks, but I got I got all those references too. I think. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Spider Robinson. Yeah. And speaking of which. Did you see um, what he, he put on his uh Yes, latest he put uh, The Persistence of Vision by John Varley. Yeah. And it's also available from uh, Audible in a completely different reading, which is mm-hmm. about a half an hour longer. <laughs> half an hour longer from Audible. And um, <laughs> um, Spider Robinson even takes like time out. He takes a break in the middle. He puts a song at the beginning and a song at the end. And he's still half an hour faster than the audible, audible um, uh, version. And it's only a two-hour show, so he's he's really, I guess he's the chatterbox. Just yeah. goes, re- goes through it really fast. Um, 
Maybe maybe the folks at Blackstone say, hey, slow it down. And draw it out. Uh-huh. We can charge more if there's on more CDs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, have you have you had a chance to hit, listen to it? No, I haven't. No, I've read the story before. But, um, oh, okay, I've never read it. You know, and I really like... Spider Robinson is a really excellent narrator as well. He's a very good narrator. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, I, I Only problem I, I foresee with his narration mm-hmm. is... I actually think he wrote it because the way he he um, he p- portrays the characters, uh, it sounds just it sounds like it has a Spider Robinson voice, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the novel. When uh, I've heard him do his own stuff, and then I hear him do this, I'm thinking Spider Robinson must have wrote this John Varley story, <laughs> <laughs> even though I know quite quite well he didn't. Um, yeah, he, he sort of he he owns it. Yeah, I, I think that's a good uh, good thing for a narrator to do. Sure, I, I think so too. Uh, although, um, uh, I, I was thinking the same thing. Um, it, this um, book of lies is feels like um, Scott Brick wrote it. You know, Scott Brick uh-huh. sort of takes control of of his uh, his readings as well, and I, I think. Um, I'm thinking, well, that's sort of a Scott Brick <laughs> way of saying things, isn't it? <laughs> Rather than, um, you know, uh, Brad Meltzer. I don't know Brad Meltzer well enough to uh, to say what his his voice sounds like, his authorial voice sounds like. Uh, oh, but one other thing about uh, Book of Lies, it's kind of interesting. It's it's told first person alternating with third person. Um, hmm. Different chapters, uh, different different ways. Uh, so the, I was saying the main character. Huh? The reason we know he's the main character is because uh, every once in a while he gets his own chapter. <laughs> this person. So wow. it keeps it interesting. Mm-hmm. So those are exciting, exciting bits of news. You bet. Uh, also on the uh, the SFF audio challenge, there's two um, Arnold Noir titles. I put I put in there since this is the first year with Arnold Noir back on the. On the books, I uh, uh-huh. I I really I really searched hard to find a good Frederick Brown piece. Um, uh, I wanted sincerely to get uh, a, a book I've never read but has an awesome title um, on the challenge, but I couldn't find uh, evidence that it was available for public domain or Creative Commons or anything. Um, the one I wanted to put on the challenge was called, I love this title, it's called The Case of the Dancing Sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, how, how do you have a case of a dancing sandwich? <laughs> it sounds like a Philip K. Dick sort of mystery, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of psychedelic. You, you, uh, mm-hmm. you go to lunch and you find yourself, hey, all these da- sandwiches are dancing. Um, um so I, I couldn't find that one. Maybe maybe in the future I'll find out that that one is available as Creative Commons or public domain. Um, the one I did pick, though, um, is called The Fabulous Clip Joint. And um, I just like I liked the uh, idea of a clip joint being fabulous. Clip joint is like a place where you go in and they, they rip you off. Um, mm-hmm. Could be like a um, sideshow, you know, where they say, see the world's uh, most bearded woman or something like that, and you go in there and there's a lady with a big beard, but it's a clip-on, you know, <laughs> it's not a real right, right. <laughs> not a real beard, and they, they, they say, and, and in the next room you'll see revealed the goat boy, 
right? And you say, oh, well, I got to pay for that. And then, and you, you shell out your, your quarter or whatever, and then they they show you into the next room, and there's a little boy uh, holding onto a goat. <laughs> you say, what? I got ripped off, right? Um, so that's what a clip joint is. It, it, and it can also be like a, a bar where they, they have beautiful women, but you have to pay... Uh, pay uh, to have drinks with them or something like that. Any any sort of scam place. And um, <clears throat> this is his first novel, um, Frederick Brown's first novel, uh, first mystery, oh. anyways. Uh, first mystery novel, and it won a Edgar Award uh, back oh, in 1947. So it's got to be a uh, good, solid uh, read and good, solid listen. Um, mm-hmm. There's a um, Creative Commons version out. Uh, uh, online, um, uh, somebody says it's Creative Commons. I, I can't believe that it's Creative Commons release since Frederick Brown is dead, and Creative Commons was uh, created since um, Frederick Brown passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so my feeling is that it's public domain, and um, some uh, devious, uh, not devious, ingenious a researcher could probably prove that point. Uh, so either way, you could release this as a public domain if you can uh, find find evidence that it hasn't had its copyright renewed, or you can release it at the very least uh, under the Creative Commons. Uh. Uh, the other title, uh, Arl Noir, is uh, Murder in the Gun Room, which I think uh, we might have talked about um, earlier in one of the podcasts. Uh, it's a H.B. H. Beam Piper novel. Mm-hmm. Um, H.P. Piper mostly wrote science fiction, um, but he wrote one uh, mystery novel, um, and it's a, a mystery novel that's sort of a locked room mystery, um, except the uh, the subject, <laughs> the investigator is a collector of guns, and uh, this happens to fit in with H.P. Piper's own uh, lifestyle. He was a big gun collector and weapon collector. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, see, I've read some reviews of the book saying um, you'll, it, it's a, only a fair mystery, but it's a great gun book. <laughs> uh, um, saying that you know, like uh, it, it, it has a lot of um, detail on weapon collecting, and that, because the main character, oh, one one of the characters who's murdered, is a gun collector, it sort of fits fits into the plot. So this might have been uh, the only, the first and only uh, mystery novel by H. Beam Piper because he's exhausted his entire interest in uh, in mysteries with this one-shot novel. (laughs) Sounds good. Mm -hmm. So what else is new with with, uh, audiobooks and uh, audio drama out there? Um, Boy, I don't... This week, I, you know, last week was chock full of new stuff. Um, I think everybody's getting their Christmas items out or, or whatever, trying to get everything out in November. We got um, a couple of Galaxy Press came in. Yeah, yeah, we, we've talked about those in mm-hmm. the last show. Mm-hmm. I've still got some more to post. <laughs> I should still? have uh, another full week of posts, yeah. and But they, we, we talked about them all in last week's podcast. Haven't received anything new since then. Um, okay. My son reviewed Elantris by Brandon Sanderson, so mm-hmm. I'll be posting that next week. My son's first review. Excellent. Good. <laughs> That's exciting. Looking forward to reading that. Yeah. And 
see my my wife has a couple she's writing as well I've got to I've got to write some up too. I've been sick though, so I, I have hmm. the excuse, and I've been yep. playing Fallout Three. <laughs> <laughs> you have been exploring and uh, collecting data. Yes, doing yeah. doing basic research. This is necessary for primary, you know, for secondary science to go. You need to have basic research. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or something like that. That's my excuse. <laughs> A good excuse. Uh, Masters of Space. Um, somebody uh, kindly pointed out. Uh, Dennis Stocks, out of Australia, kindly pointed out that I had missed uh, this release on LibriVox. Masters of Space is an E.E. E. Doc Smith and E. Everett Evans um, uh, space opera. Came out, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, in the 1940s. Oh, I can't know. I am just guessing on that. Um, that just came out this week as well. I haven't I haven't had much of a chance to listen to that one. Uh, I checked the files to make sure they work and um but it's read by RJ Davis who has read a lot of um um LibriVox before. Oh, including um some Andre Norton. Great. Mhm. How can I forget this? I was just listening right before the show uh, before the podcast started. Um I I got. I listened to the final installment of Queen of the Black Coast by um, uh, Robert E. Howard, the uh, audio drama from Broken Sea. Um, you know, we talked to Bill a couple weeks ago, and um, he he sent me chapter six um, or part six uh, about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, um, and I just got part seven, the last part. It's not actually going to be in the feed, I guess, until December. But um, got yeah, I got. I'm gonna write something up for this. But uh, needless to say, it's completely awesome. Um, he's he's really been very faithful to the books uh, or the the uh, story, um, and I think that's actually quite difficult with an audio drama. It's very difficult to um, to do uh, a close adaptation of something that's that's. Um, uh, you know, quite a different medium. So, uh, it's not well known for his uh, long speeches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you've seen the original and the Barbarian movie, um, <laughs> it's fairly accurate in one respect, and that Conan doesn't have much to say. He basically is a man of action, not a man of words. Um, in that, in the um, in the original Conan movie, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I believe has four lines. <laughs> um, there's a lot of um, sw- sword swinging and uh, looks. He looks at people. He has questioning looks. He has he has angry looks. Um, but uh, his his entire dialogue can be summed up in "You killed my mother. You killed my father." <laughs> Basically, uh, that's the entire dialogue for the movie for him. Um, oh wow! But. Um, in this case, uh, um, what he's had to do is, I mean, he didn't have a math, you know, the whole thing narrated by a narrator. There's a little bit of narration, but very little. Um, so Conan has a lot more dialogue. He basically has to carry the show, um, and that means he's uh, a lot chattier than he normally is. Um, but it's done in such a way as it doesn't feel wrong. And I, I wasn't sold on it in the first couple 
but in this final one, I I got chills up my back. You know, I I was saying this is this is exactly how I would imagine it uh, done as best it could be done, and um, uh, I I'm really deeply impressed. So um, at the end, he he does say that there's going to be more. So I'm going to be um, holding him to that because I got to have more. It's awesome. Good. He, he yeah. really did an amazing job. And the uh, guy you got to play Conan, uh, named Stevie Farnaby, I, I believe he's in England. Um, he doesn't have an English accent in this. Um, but uh, Bill was saying that um, Stevie Farnaby <laughs> ruined his, his throat, and he's, he was actually coughing up blood. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> uh, sorry, guy, but <laughs> he's coughing up blood after doing his voice <coughs> uh, for mm. all the dialogue he had to do um mm-hmm. it's a very sort of mm, you know back of your throat guttural sounding voice uh, and so i guess he really hurt himself but i'm gonna i'm gonna have to ask bill to get him back and keep hurting himself <laughs> for this yeah. role because he's he really he's done some amazing work with it he might be like the the best conan ever depicted um as a speaker i uh-huh. uh, that, there haven't been that many, but um, he does a really great job. Well, good. So that's enough me yeah. gushing about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on um, Brian Murphy's blog, Brian Murphy is one of uh, the reviewers on SFF Audio. Mm-hmm, um, and he has his own he, excellent blog. He's what? He has his own excellent blog, The Silver Key. Oh, yes, he does, yeah. And uh, one of the latest posts on there, he talks about a new Conan film. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually two things on this uh, post but um, it says Brett Ratner to direct Conan films so they're doing a new Conan movie yeah. and one of the good things about it it looks like he says uh, this news if correct seems to imply that we'll be getting um, a Conan based on the actual character by Robert E. Howard so yeah, we'll um, he, see. he quotes Brett an article Ratner. that says go ahead keep going no, you keep oh, going. Yeah, he, he quoted uh, an article, and it says, Ratner jibed to the Conan script by Gersh Rept, Joshua Oppenheimer, and Thomas Dean Donnelly, who looked to Robert E. Howard's original pulp stories of the 1930s to create their take on the character. Yeah, so. um, well, you got to say that. <clears throat> I don't know, Brent Ratner's sort of not... Um, the guy, I go, oh my god, he's going to do it? Awesome, you know. Uh-huh. Um, if Stanley Kubrick said he was going to do it, um, <laughs> then I would be uh, I would be out of my mind. Because so Conan's a Kubrick kind of character? No, not at all, but um, uh, okay. Kubrick is so hard to pin down um, mm-hmm. that I think if, if, you know, if he were alive and he said he was going to do it, I would, um, I would be 100% on board with it, because he he's got the style to make anything work, you know that he he sets his mind to. Um, no, I wouldn't say he's a Kubrick kind of character. Now, Brett Ratner is sort of an action guy, sort of a visuals guy. Um, I, I can't recall any of his movies that I, you know, offhand remember, but I have seen his name on some of the movies I've seen, and he, he's okay, mm-hmm. I guess. But um, I, I think it's it's not a uh, you know, it, it, I think some of the idea that they're saying is um, in in that press release is well, they're they're going to make it like the old stories. Well, 
Um, could be. Could be that it'll work. But I, I think that the first movie is actually fairly... Uh, I mean, it's not it's not representative of any one story. But one of the scenes in, in um, the original movie is uh, basically a scene from... Very short scene. Uh, is a scene from uh, Queen of the Black Coast. And... Um, uh, all the individual scenes from most of the Conan movie are actually taken um, ins- taken inspiration from um, <clears throat> Howard's stories, if not uh, Conan stories. So I-, I think it's fairly faithful in that it's sort of a pastiche of many Conan ideas. His origin story is actually, I think, better in uh, the movie. So I as long as you're taking swipes at the second movie, I have no problem with that. The second movie has a couple of good action sequences, but basically it's a big pile of stinking shit other than that. Um, mm. Sorry. Sorry for the use of the... <laughs> the, sh- the stinking part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's not it's not as bad as Red Sonja, but it's pretty close. <laughs> Although I've been hearing really good things about the new Cole, Cole uh, comic, and um, I still have to write that review of the um, the new uh, Shadow Kingdoms uh, collection from uh, Audio Realms, um, and mm-hmm. it's done wonders for making me think Cull's actually a much better character than I used to think. Um, I read, you know, I had read the Cull stories before, but uh, I'm I'm much I'm much enamored with them now, and. Um, I, I think there was talk of a King Call movie. There's also talk of a. Um, I, I actually think it's in production. Uh, Solomon Kane mo- movie. Um, so you'll. Yeah, I, we talked a little bit about Solomon Kane, but there's. Um, right. That's going to be a uh, uh, movie to keep your eyes out for. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the other part of his post is uh, HBO greenlights a Song of Ice and Fire pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Now, that does not that does not mean that that's a go for the series. Um, uh, one of the things I read said that they were actually greenlighted ten pilots of different things, so it's still mm-hmm. going to get through another process before it uh, actually shows up as a series. So, well, the one the one worry I have with um, that show being greenlit would be it's going to be bloody expensive. Um, you know, a song of ice and fire. Uh, if nothing else, has a lot of characters, um, yeah. and that means a lot of uh, payola for all those uh, actors. Um, not to mention all the sets, all the set pieces. Um, it's going to be a lot of work, a lot of effort. Boy, yeah, I hope it comes to fruition, though. HBO yeah, is I, the right I, place I for it, and I really um, like the concept, you know, of doing one season or one book for one whole season. I'm entirely in favor of so it myself. I'd be like I 20 hours of uh, 20 hours of show out of the first book, or 12 hours of show. Sure. Or they they tend to do shorter seasons, uh, six to 12 episodes per season, 13 episodes uh-huh. sometimes. I think I think HBO has done a couple of 20 episode seasons, but that's usually with their half hour show. Oh, so I see. I would say 13 episodes is much more likely than 20. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.